Today's uh, <clears throat> reading comes from the second chapter of Acts. And uh, it says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house that they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking other languages the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, yet we hear them (coughs) speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, and people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs. And we hear all these people speaking our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they ask each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. When... uh, I was in school. My teachers always uh, taught me that I should never give a speech or I should never talk with gum in my mouth. They said nothing about cough drops. (laughs) So I am armed this morning with cough drops and water, but I'm just giving you a fair warning in the process. (coughs) I think that uh, we lose a lot of the magnificence of the moment of the scripture that we just read. I think we focus a lot on the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming down like tongues of fire on all the believers on that Pentecost day, and rightfully so. We should spend a lot of time learning about that. The disciples were most likely inside the temple at this time. 
Now, I know, I know if you grew up in Sunday school, as I did, you were probably taught that uh, on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples, that they were hidden away in that upper room, the same upper room where Jesus appeared to them uh, after being resurrected, maybe the same upper room that he had communion with them, the Passover meal before he was crucified. But scripture also says in Luke chapter 24, verse 53, that the disciples were known during this time to spend all of their time in the temple praising God. Our scripture for today also mentioned that there were huge crowds that had gathered from every nation and they were there for that Sunday and they all heard Peter speak. Now, where would all of these people have been? Where would there have been room for them besides in the temple, in church? And Peter says that it was nine o'clock in the morning, which would have been the exact same time that services in the temple that day would have started. And this is what happens, or what happens next is that is overshadowed by that uh, Pentecostal moment when the Holy Spirit comes down upon all of the believers. Immediately afterward, though, we see Peter, and he is addressing this large crowd of people from all over the region. <coughs> and as soon as Peter heard the naysayers in the crowd doubting what was happening when the Holy Spirit fell on all of these believers, Peter sprang into action. He said, I'll tell you what happened. These people are not drunk. It's too early in the day for that. No, 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 no. What happened is that you have just witnessed, witnessed what God has been talking about for over 500 years. The prophet Joel spoke about this himself. You know Joel, you have studied Joel, you have read it yourself. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. You couldn't stop Peter this day. Peter was on fire. He was a man on a mission. He was brave and he was full of this holy courage. People were leaning in. People were listening to every single word that he had to say, every word that came out of his mouth. And the, and the crowd was captivated by all that he was saying. And in the end, but wait a second. Isn't this the same guy? Isn't this the same Peter that uh, denied even knowing who Jesus was before Jesus was crucified? Isn't this the, uh, <coughs> the same Peter that a few weeks ago basically said, I give up. This is too hard. I don't get all of this. I'm going fishing. The story is found in John chapter 21, where basically Peter is saying, this is too hard. Yes, it is, Peter. On your own, it's going to be too hard. So he talks about going fishing. And this wasn't some fishing trip, nice fishing trip up to Canada, Minnesota, you know, like our guys from uh, PFN are going to be going uh, here shortly. Peter was done. 
Peter was through. Peter was hitting the reset button here. He was going back to what he knew best. He wanted to go back at something that he was finally, he was good at this. He was going to go back fishing and he was leaving all of this preaching and the proclaiming and all of that stuff behind him. And I wonder how many times that we have done that exact same thing where we have shortchanged God because we wanted to go fishing instead of doing what God has equipped us to do and empowered me to do. I wonder if you've ever had that attitude of I just give up, let's just go fishing attitude. I wonder if that's ever creeped up in your life and taken over what God has wanted you to do. An old uh, belief maybe sabotages, sabotages that new truth that you have learned or an old assumption stalls your progress with God. And I know it's happened to me. And in our humanness, it's, our humanness is this powerful force that if we're not careful, our humanness takes over what God is wanting to do for us. Even after we have been following Jesus for possibly years just like Peter. And so here we find Peter in John chapter 21, and he's going fishing. Fishing was Peter's default. It was his comfortable place. That fishing boat was Peter's comfort zone. And after Peter started following Jesus three years before this, Jesus had told him, follow me and I will teach you to fish for people. And here we find Peter saying, yeah, you know what, Jesus, I think I'm just going to go back and fish for fish. That's a whole lot easier. Uh, At least what I know what I'm doing when I'm in the boat. In essence, Peter is saying, I've had enough. I don't know what to do anymore. I'm just going to go back to what I know how to do. And that's to fish for fish. So how do we go from the man that says, I give up, to the man just a few short weeks later calling this entire crowd, this gigantic crowd into repentance in the name of Jesus? How do we go from this man that was tossing the nets from the boat in John to a man that was boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to a massive crowd here in the book of Acts? Just a few short weeks Later, (coughs) the answer starts with what happened at the end of that fishing trip. Starts. See, Peter had had enough. He was going back to his comfort zone and he took some other disciples with them. That's often how discouragement works. Discouragement often gathers a crowd around us. And they had fished all night. And even though this is what they knew and this is their comfort zone, they had caught absolutely nothing. So let me read part of this story for you. It was at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul the net in because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple that Jesus loved, that's John, that's the author here of this book, said to Peter, it's the Lord. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. After Jesus gets Peter out of the boat for the second time in his life here, Jesus now starts to reveal his plans to to Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. I, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. It sounds like a pretty straightforward command, doesn't it? I mean, here we have Peter And Jesus pretty much says, Peter, then take care of my people. Do my work. Do what I'm asking you to do. But Jesus knows his plans are so much more than Peter and the other guys there were capable of. He knows that the comfort zone is for fishing for fish, not fishing for people. They prove that to Jesus already. But Jesus also knows these guys. He knows his friends. He had spent time with them, just like uh, he knows all of you. He knows that the inability of the disciples weren't going to hinder them from at least trying. They just need the promise of God. They just needed God to work in their lives in a way that was going to make it possible for them to stop fishing for fish, but start fishing for people. You see, I don't think Jesus was worried here on this this morning, this dawn, after they had been fishing and just went back to their comfort zone. I don't think Jesus was worried at all. I don't think there was ever a point when Jesus looked at those guys in the boat and thought to himself, ugh, I've called the wrong people. I don't think there's ever been a time where Jesus has looked at any of us and said, what was I doing? They can't get it. No, I I think Jesus knows exactly what all of us need, just like he knew for Peter and the rest. Peter, or Jesus, knew that there was no way that these guys were ever going to effectively fish for people. There was zero chance that Peter and his friends were going to be able to take care of the sheep. Yet... No, something else needed to happen. And Jesus knew what needed, what was needed and what was going to come. They needed the next kind of grace that we're talking about in this series. Jesus' sanctifying grace. So if we go back a, a couple weeks, we learned about pervenient grace. Pervenient grace is that grace where Jesus is working in our lives and he is wooing us towards himself long before we ever know who he is or started to follow him. And during that time, we are 100% a slave to our flesh or our sinful nature. Remember, we established that 
<coughs> no parent has to teach their child how to lie or misbehave when they grow up, right? You don't have to teach them uh, to be bad, right? They get that completely on their own. That's the sinful nature that we have inherited from the fall of mankind. But then there's saving grace. Now, before saving grace, the flesh doesn't war, isn't at war with the spirit because we are dead in our sins. We don't have that spirit yet. But even when we do become Christians, even when we accept his saving grace into our lives, Christians still can behave in a kind of a fleshy way, right? So, was, so did Peter and his buddies. They were doing what they wanted to do, not what Jesus had told them to do. Even when the spirit of God comes alive in us, and, but we can still live in our own strength and within our own power. And instead of depending upon God's strength and power, we just do it ourselves. That's why Peter and his buddies, that's why all of us need God's sanctifying grace. We need God's grace to crucify the flesh that wants to depend on ourselves and others. We need God to put to death the part of us that wants just to quit and go fishing. Because God has so much more planned for us. We need God to, to put aside the part of us that wants to just manage our lives ourselves. We need a complete surrender to Jesus so that the spirit of Jesus can take complete control in our life. But most Christians that I know are, are kind of in that in-between world. They're in that in-between land. They're still at war between the flesh and the spirit. The apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7 when he says, Why do I do the things that I know that I shouldn't do? Or why don't I do the things that I know that I should do? Anyone else there? Have you found yourself in that constant cycle of you follow Jesus and you feel good and, oh, this is great, I'm a Jesus follower, but then you do something wrong? You, you're sinful and then you start to feel bad? But then you come to church on Sunday and you repent and you ask for forgiveness and you feel good again, but then you live life and you fall back into sin again and you feel bad. But then you have church on Sunday and you come back and you start feeling good. And I'm here to tell you that that cycle doesn't need to control your life. There is a way out. There is a way to crucify that flesh and totally live for God. And it is a complete surrender to God's sanctifying grace. Let me explain it this way. We all have baggage, don't we? We all start following Jesus and when we give our lives over to him, we bring him this big old suitcase of all of the stuff that is us, right? We, we bring over him this, this big, huge suitcase that contains all of our past and our failures and all of our hopes and our dreams and all of the things that we want to have and all our requirements for life and all of these things fit in this big old baggage. 
But here's what surrendering over to God's sanctifying grace was like, at least for me. And at least this is the best way I describe it. If you're taking notes, uh, you'll be able to figure out all these here pretty, pretty fast. The first thing is we need to come to terms with our past. Come to terms with our past. <coughs> Even if you've been following Jesus most of your life, all of us come to Jesus with a past, right? Now, some of our pasts are things that, that we did wrong ourselves. It might have been the sinful life that we were living or, or are living now. And part of our past includes all of the wrong and the hurts done to us by others. But all of us are bringing that past to Jesus. But what is also common in all of our past is that the past is over. The past is behind us. And so the first part of sanctification here is giving God over your past. Giving God everything that has happened before today. You see, if we hang on to all of those hurts of the past, then we tend to relive them. When we fail to move on from the past, we get stuck there. We can't move on from that. <coughs> our past may have not have been pretty. Our past may not have, have been pleasant. But your past is what got you here today. When we come to Jesus for the first time, we come to him and we ask for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And Jesus is so gracious to us. Jesus is so loving to us that he, he freely forgives us, anybody with a repentant heart. But all too often we fail to give Jesus the power that the past holds over us. We live in the past too often. We live in this past world of regrets and pain. And we fail to take our responsibility for the present because we live as victims of our past. So the first part of this sanctification is giving God the past, recognizing the past. We're not asking for the past to, to go away. We can't change the past, so we recognize the past but we also, sorry, but we also recognize that in our salvation, the old self died and a new self had been created. So you're not the same as you once were. God's saving grace has already saved you from who you were in the past. So let's stop living in the past. God's sanctifying grace allows us to live beyond the pull of the past and start living this new life unhindered. But we also, number two, we also need to come into terms, come to terms with the present. This present, this is the present consequence of past sin. Too often uh, we live our lives, even uh, being saved by Jesus, but we live our lives in shame and in guilt. 
We, or we puff up our ego so much and our arrogance that we tell the world that we're not broken people. We're strong, but we know that's a lie. God's sanctifying grace allows us to live beyond where we find ourselves today. So in sanctification, in the second work of grace, we need to present our present selves over to God. We need to give God who we are now. We need to uh, come to terms with our present selves means that we are identifying our reluctance to embrace the fullness of life that God came to give us. See, John, or, uh, Jesus said himself that I have come so that they may have life, but life to the full. So coming to terms with our present means that we are looking inside and we're honestly telling God that there are some things about ourselves that right now, today, that need to change. It's giving God the the freedom to change us into the people that he wants us to become. And so with sanctification, there may be some personality pruning that needs to happen. God's sanctifying grace can Move our pride aside so that God is able to work on us today. Today. July 31st. God can work on us today. And so that we can align our thinking with that of Jesus. And so that we can truly become kingdom-minded people. So surrendering (coughs) to the sanctifying grace of Jesus means that we get out of the boat like Peter did and allow Jesus to change us today. That's why the baggage of the present needs to be given over to God so that he can work in us. Follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. Are we fully following Jesus? Or do we need to make some changes today so that Jesus has the freedom to mold you into your future? And so obviously that next step, number three, is come to terms with our future. When most people become Jesus followers, they, they say that we come to Jesus and we ask for forgiveness and we give Jesus over control and we pray that, Lord, forgive me of all my past sins and, uh, Lord, you are now going to be the Lord of my life and we hand over our story to Jesus, yet for many of us, we keep the pen. We might say, Jesus, you have everything, you have my story, but let me keep the pen just in case I need to write a couple chapters myself. See, entire sanctification, in the Nazarene church, we use that term, entire sanctification. And it's kind of confusing because entire sanctification does not mean it's done. It does not mean that it's complete To be entirely sanctified means that at this moment, we have an entire work of grace. Yet tomorrow, there may be a whole new other set of challenges and situations that come up. And so that's why we need to give God over that future baggage as well. 
Give God the future baggage. See, I may be able to give God all of my past and, and even surrender to him and, and say, work on me and give me all of your, your present. Uh, but it's in that future bag that I have no idea what it contains, do I? That's why a complete surrender to God and receiving his sanctifying grace means giving God over all of the unknown. It means giving God all of my future. And over time, though, you know that there's going to be contents of that bag that are going to be revealed to us. One by one, the items in that bag are going to cross over from the future into the present. Life changes. When I was sanctified, there was a whole lot in my life that was still in that future bag. We, we didn't have kids yet. I hadn't received a call in the ministry yet. And there was a whole lot of my life that was still in that future bag. That is why in surrender to Jesus, I allow him to take all of the stuff that I don't even know about yet. So that when it is revealed to me, I know that I've already handed that over to God. It's already his. I know that I've already had the strength to handle whatever is revealed to me out of that bag. And this is a kind of a simplified version of sanctification, but here's what I need you to know. When we are saved, I believe that we receive as much of the Holy Spirit as we'll ever get. Yet too often we come with an incomplete knowledge of what that actually means. So too often we fail to give Jesus everything of us. Have you? Have you completely given him your past, your present, and all of your future? Our band is coming up and they're going to be playing a song for us called The Throne Room. What I want you to know this morning is that there is another work of grace beyond saving grace. It's called sanctifying grace. The sanctifying grace of Jesus is what separates us from the pull and the power of our sinful lives. <clears throat> See, Peter denied even knowing who Jesus was on the night that he was crucified. Peter was ready to give up and he was ready just to go back to the comfortable life that he had, had always known. But then the Holy Spirit showed up. Then the Holy Spirit showed up and Peter was boldened. Peter was brave. Peter had courage and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was able to live the life that Jesus set before him. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you given God all of your life? Have you received the sanctifying grace of Jesus as you surrender everything over to his will? Does your king have all of you? As they sing this song, I'm just going to ask you to come in obedience just so happens the front row is almost completely clear. <laughs> you can come to the front row. You can come to one of these altars and pray. If you've not given God all of you, if you've not given him all of your past, 
your present and even your future. Today is a day where God takes over. Today is a day where you ask him to set you apart for his work, for his kingdom. So I want you to to pray while they're singing. But if the Holy Spirit is talking to you and you know that there's another step in your life, another part to give over to God, then in obedience, come here to the front.
Shortly before Jesus was arrested and then he was crucified, he sat down with a meal with his disciples. It was a Passover meal. He was eaten in as a symbol or a reminder to the nation of Israel that they once were enslaved in Egypt and God had rescued them. Today, we get to take part in communion as a reminder to us that we are no longer enslaved to sin. We take communion to remind ourselves that Jesus was the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice for for us dying on a cross. But today we also take communion in the knowledge that not only did Jesus die to forgive our sins, but Jesus also frees us from the pull of that sinful nature. And today we recognize both the saving and the sanctifying grace of the work of Jesus Christ in communion. As Pastor Cheryl said, the church of Nazarene believes and follows an open communion with juice, which means that all that we ask is that you have a relationship with Jesus. That's all that's necessary to partake. If you have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and you are following him, then freely partake in communion. If you have it, it's not too late. You can ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior right here and now. Our helpers are going to come and hand out the elements here. If you would go ahead and come up. And we will take communion together once everyone here is served. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you not only save us, but you sanctify us. Lord, you not only free us from our past sins, but Lord, you free us from the pull of sin itself. You are that big. You are that powerful. And so Lord, today we ask that you would bless these elements today. We ask, Lord, that as we partake in your communion, that we would remember your sacrifice. Lord, may your blessing be upon this moment in our lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Maybe pass out the the elements today. We will pause and we will allow everyone to be served. If you are watching here with us at home, we you hadn't already prepared yourself and gotten some juice and some crackers or something like that, we invite you to go and do that now while our sanctuary is being served. All that we ask is that you are honest with the Lord and you have a relationship with him to take communion. But once again, that even if you don't, you can 
It's as simple as asking God to come into your life, to be your Lord and your Savior, to forgive you of all of your sins, to apply the sacrifice that he made on that cross to your life and tell him that you will begin following him. I encourage you to do that if you have not done so already. here this morning he has decided to meet with us he has decided to descend upon this sanctuary his Holy Spirit is here his Holy Spirit is not done with you either his Holy Spirit is continuing to work and empowering you to be exactly what God has called you to be prepare, just ask if you would bow your heads, close your eyes, and even if you are at home, make sure that you are participating with us this morning. This is your opportunity to talk to Jesus before you come to his table, to thank him for all of his sacrifices that he has given to you, to thank him that he is continually working in our lives. that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And after giving thanks for it, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And whenever you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. And whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Our gracious Jesus, 
we do remember. We remember the sacrifice that you gave to us. By dying on a cross, you paid the price for all of our sin. And if that were the end of it, if you were done, it would have been enough. But you did more. You have given us your sanctifying grace and your Holy Spirit. You desire for your children to be set apart and to be fully surrendered to you. There was no part of you, Jesus, that you withheld from us. And so therefore, in your grace and in your power, may we fully and entirely surrender ourselves over to you. It is in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming to church today. Thank you for joining us online. We pray that you felt God's spirit today and that you leave today different than when you came in. May you be blessed. I love you. You're dismissed.